Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Living God, thank you for the ways that you have led us in prayer this morning in community, in care, songs that we have sung that have united our hearts in who you are and the ways that we need you and the ways that you are good and gracious toward us. And we just come to you alongside of churches around our city, across the island, across the country, across the world today. We join with women and men, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who today gather to read, to study, to listen to your revelation in scripture, to listen for your voice, your living voice by your spirit today again. And so we ask God that you would do what you do. You would open us up to hear your voice and you would speak today through your word and through me as you will through many others today. We bow to you. Uh, thanks for Aaron and maybe whoever else is helping serve Apex today and those that are serving alongside of Kenzie today with our kids and the roles that each of them have in teaching your word this morning upstairs and downstairs to all ages. Come, Lord, and speak through your word to us. Amen. Uh, if you're new with us, I, I recognize we always have new folks. Uh, if you're new with us, I, I recognize we always have new folks stepping in, uh, family, friends, neighbors, people in our community. Maybe you're new to Victoria. All that welcome to Lambrick. My name is Scott Anderson, and I get to wear the sexy mic today. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, although, it's, yeah, anyways, I'll leave it at that. Sorry. <laughs> and that's a little window into our community, isn't it? Well, if you are just joining us today, we are in our sixth week of a fall study that we're calling Life with God for the World, uh, exploring what it means for the gospel to have its way in our hearts and in our life as a community and in the ways that we live our lives out in the community for the sake of the world. Um, Six weeks ago, we started this series with a look at uh, the story of Israel entering into exile in Babylon, Jeremiah. Hearing God's instruction and invitation to them, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And if you're with us this Sunday, you might remember the question we pondered as we began into this, the question, why are you here? Why are we here, in this place, in this city, in this season? And the answer we explored coming to us from Jeremiah 29, is that we are here because of the gospel. We're here because of God's heart, not just for our souls, but for our world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, the cosmos, all that he has made. And God's intention in that, that the gospel would not just embrace us, but would invade and reclaim and renew 
and pervade the whole of our lives, our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. And that ultimately, as we work and live in this place, this here, wherever your here is, that the gospel of a God who cares about the whole world, who's seeking to redeem all things, would be revealed through us, made known in this place, through you and through me. But as we named right at the start, it doesn't just happen. No, it requires the vision of the gospel, the story of God in scripture to claim our vision of life. It requires us to, to discover that this is what God is after. <laughs> that all things would be reconciled to God in Christ. Not just our Sunday worship, not just our devotional practices, but every part of our lives, our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And this morning, we need to talk about one very significant but undeniable part of this everyday life that we all have, and that is our work. Our work life. Which I think is so vital for us to talk about in relation to the gospel and a living faith because we spend so much of our lives at work, right? And that's not just at an office. For some of you, your work might be in your very home. And for some of you, maybe you're retired, but you still have responsibilities. You still have roles that you play in the world, in family, in community, in neighborhoods, I suspect. It's not just a perpetual trip to Kauai, right? A number of years ago, I came across a stunning stat. It's an old stat, but I've, I've followed it over the years and looked at where things are today, and it seems to be pretty much the same. The studies show that the average working Canadian spends between 88,000 and 100,000 hours on the job over the course of their working years. Almost or more than 40% of our waking hours are spent at work, more than a third of our lives. And recent studies show this only increasing, and the pandemic has only added to this. So whatever study, whatever study you're looking at, the conclusion is the same. We spend a huge percentage of our lives at work. A huge percentage that some of us have never realized, understood, or embraced as integral to our pursuit of Christ, to our life with God. You know, you have your life with God over here, maybe your devotional practices, time in scripture, times in community with others in scripture, times in prayer, and then you have your job, your work, the rest of life. But it's a false dichotomy, right? At least according to scripture as a follower of Jesus I love how this is evident in the New Testament, how the Apostle Paul names this in so many of his letters, though we often don't notice it. In almost all of his letters, in all of Paul's letters, he writes about the invitation for us to learn to live our lives in Christ, not just to believe in Jesus and the gospel, but to live our lives in Christ, to walk in the Spirit as a daily way of being as an everyday thing, an ordinary thing, not just a devotional thing. And among other things, he always ends up talking about how this is to be worked out in our work, both in the relationships involved in our work and in the very doing of our work. To quote Amy Sherman, not Amy Schumer, but Amy Sherman, a Christian scholar who's written and taught extensively on a theology of work, she says, one of the primary ways we live missionally in the city, so that is participating in the mission of God, 
One of the primary ways we live missionally in the city is through the stewardship of our vocations, our everyday work done for the glory of God and the benefit of others, to which I hope all of our hearts say, amen. This is good. It is a good thing to know that our work, our working lives matter to God because if they don't, then so much of our lives don't matter to God. But thank God, they do. Because from the opening page of the Bible, Genesis 1, we are invited to discover and embrace the grace that all of life, all of our lives, every aspect of our lives matters to God, including our work. Whatever your work is, do you hear that? Do you know that? Do you feel that? Whatever your work is, is. Your work matters to God. And I know most of us know this. This is super basic, and yet, I think sometimes we need to hear it again. And maybe some of you need to hear it from me, a pastor, whose work and calling is often considered or referred to in Christian circles as a higher calling, work that truly matters for eternity, right? We hear that, we say that, sometimes I meet someone uh, later in life and they've had some kids and they say, oh, one of our sons, he's a missionary. One of, oh, two of our kids went into the service of the Lord or whatever. What about the other kids? And it's like a, a negative, right? We'll get there. But I need to say, I need to say to you that there is no higher calling. There is no higher calling than doing, simply doing the thing that God has given you to do, whatever it is, whatever you do. That's what Paul, the Apostle Paul says three times in the New Testament. I'll quote two of them. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do. And in case the Christians in Colossae didn't catch this, six verses later, he comes back to say the very same thing. Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, which sadly is not the message we've often heard in the church. We've often been told or thought or found ourselves implying that certain work really matters to God and his kingdom and eternity. And then there's the rest of us who build things and fix things and make signs and manage systems and restock shelves and clean up after others and coach sports and record music and do payroll and on and on. Case in point, this week, I have a, or recently, I, I have a collection of old books uh, that I got passed down to me from my grandfather, my grandparents. Um, and this one, I, you know, once in a while you think, maybe I should read one of those. And so I grab this one. I love a memoir. And this one is called The Story of a Life in the Love of God. What a beautiful title. Um, my great-grandfather uh, received it from the author and wrote a note uh, in 1939 about it. The book was published in 1938. The author wrote this about his own mother, uh, telling the story of her humble, beautiful life of faith. Inspiring read, encouraging. And yet I couldn't help flinch as I came to the final page of the book and read the appendix where the author uh, just gives a brief 
biographical sketch at the end about the family life, the subsequent generations. And he writes that three of this woman's nine children survived, which was common in an era, post-war, influenzas, things that happened. A lot of children passed quickly. And it says, three of her nine children survived and each are in the service of the Lord, one being a pastor, one a missionary, and other a bank manager, though widely known for his evangelistic activities. The implication being that the third son was only on the list because of what he did after hours. He was a bank manager, but he was widely known after hours and on weekends to have been engaged in evangelistic activities. Now, we don't use the language much these days, but some of us who've grown up in the church are familiar with the term, the Lord's work, as a way of distinguishing what kind of work is truly valuable to the kingdom, to the Lord, and what kind of work isn't. He was just a bank manager. Which is surprising, because this is not what we discover in the pages of Scripture. We didn't learn this from the Bible. Have you ever stopped to consider the wide range of jobs, of work, that God, the Lord, has done and does, i.e., what kind of work really is the Lord's work? And I need to tip my hat to Paul Stevens, one of my professors at Regent College, who helped me see this years ago. In just the opening chapter of the Bible, and this is just a sketch that I did quickly, in just the opening chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, we discover God, the Lord, at work in all of these ways, creating Crafting, forming, filling, shaping, beautiful things, practical things, nourishing things, notably all good things. Organizing, bringing order out of chaos, providing, planting, setting up the lights, turning them on, blessing, speaking, communicating, instructing, distinguishing, delegating and empowering, celebrating, giving rest. And that's just Genesis 1. And I'm sure you could pull out more if you really dug in. As you keep reading in Genesis and beyond, but even just in the next chapter and then a bit more, you find God sustaining things, organizing things, imagining, storytelling, parenting, bringing things to completion, disciplining, advising, making wine, designing gardens, warning, setting boundaries for the common good, intervening, purging, assessing, forecasting outcomes, destroying, helping, healing, feeding, protecting, renewing, nurturing, comforting, seeking justice, counseling, leading, encouraging, guiding, unifying, search and rescue, deploying people, mediating, investigating, mending, listening, and judging. And although we don't read about a lot about it, it is widely understood that Jesus, the second person of the eternal trinity, the living God incarnate, spent at least 15 years of his life, maybe more, working with his hands with wood, alongside his father, building and repairing things as a carpenter. Tell me, friends, what qualifies as the Lord's work? It would be fascinating to stop right here, to go around the room and ask one another where your respective work shows up on that list, to name and celebrate how each of our work can be truly an extension of the Lord's work. Because it, it is. All of it. Whatever your work is. 
I love how Timothy Keller describes what he calls the glory of gardening, taking raw material and rearranging it for the flourishing of creation, of humanity. That's what God is doing, happily doing in creation. And it's what God calls Adam and Eve to do in the garden. So why is this important for us to understand? I hope you have a lot, the answer to that question is super obvious and you have lots of things sparking in you, but I'll name a few. I think it's important for us to understand that God himself works. Which, let it be said, if you studied ancient Near Eastern religions, maybe you'd know in the ancient world the gods did not work. They employed humans to work for them so they could be lazy. Right? When we picture the heavens, we often think, we see these kind of TV examples of gods up in the heavens, and they are are not hardworking people. They are masters who have people that do the work for them. That is not the story we find in Scripture. God is a worker, which means that work is not an unspiritual or ungodly thing that we should view as a distraction from life with God or the pursuit of God. Some of us long to be holy, and we assume that means we need to carve out as much time as possible to be in our prayer closet or read our Bibles. And I, friends, do not want to discourage anyone from meeting with God in your prayer closet or reading the Bible. God has chosen to meet us through these things, but God has also chosen to meet us in and through our work. Work is not an ungodly, unholy distraction from the pursuit of God. Just the opposite. It is an integral part of your life with God. It's one of the primary contexts where we live out our trust in God, our allegiance to him, and our worship of him, or where these things are shown to be lacking. In the beginning, God worked, and he still does. Even if your work is gardening, I love that. Just got to come back to that. Which, let it be said, is not included on our list of helping professions, right? We all have these hierarchies of what work matters. And the first thing we see God doing is making a garden. Any gardeners in the room? Work at stew. Others by employment, others by passion, others by, well, I got to take care of it because we own the land or whatever. The landlord's told us it's part of our rent, Right? So God does, delights in it. And not only that, but our God who works has created us to work, to work with him and for him in ways that honor his work values, his work ethic, his work aims. For the Christian, from, a, from the Christian or biblical perspective, work is not a curse or a part of the curse, though sometimes we think it is, something we need to get free from so we can do spiritual things. It's not. According to the Bible, work and our calling to work is not something that shows up after the fall. It is what God intended in the beginning. Genesis 1 verse 26, let us make human beings in our image, God says, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the air. And then a couple verses later, Genesis 1 verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So they have a responsibility, something to do. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every creature that moves on the ground. And then chapter 2 verse 15, we read explicitly, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. Why? To work it 
and take care of it. So right there, we're told explicitly that Adam was commanded and Eve with him in the text by God to work as a gardener, to work it and take care of it. Not as a punishment, not as a curse, but as a holy privilege, participating with God in God's ongoing care of creation. All that to say, your work matters to God, whatever you do. Which made me want to request a reprint of this book, but I suspect it went out of print almost 80 years ago. Uh, In a way, it simply reflects what has commonly been believed in the church. And yet it's surprising because if you read this very book, so many of the stories of God's work in this very memoir, in the life of this woman and her family in the north of England and Scotland, were not limited to explicitly spiritual events, witnessing Bible study conversion prayer, but often were bound up in God's provision in very practical ways for this woman and the life of her family. God's provision of furniture as an answer to prayer when they moved to a new town and had no resources. God's provision of needed housing. God's provision of good theological books. God's provision of wise medical care. God's provision of an understanding bank manager, which tells us that each of these people, the furniture maker and retailer, the landlord, the book publisher and printers and writers, the medical professionals, the bank manager, doing their ordinary work, each of them were truly an answer to prayer and a means of the Lord's work, a means of God's loving care and provision for his people and his world on a regular basis, nine to five, Monday to Friday, and beyond. And so, it's not the right kind of glass to raise, but I'd like to raise a glass to the late son, Frederick John Scroggie, who did not serve the Lord after hours simply, but who served the Lord as a bank manager in Walham Green, London, for the glory of God a hundred years ago. Thank God for Christians who manage banks well. Thank God for Christians who seek to make good furniture, who are good landlords, Christian doctors who bring their best to their patients, Christian publishers and editors and print makers who make available good books for the glory of God and the good of the world. As Paul writes, whatever you do, and not merely on your breaks, and after hours, but in the very work of your work. I've always appreciated Dorothy Sayers, um, mystery novelist, um, scholar, one of the the first women to graduate from Oxford, a peer of C.S. Lewis. She wrote, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the, first, the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. As Timothy Keller, in his wonderful book, Every Good Endeavor, I commend it to anyone, simply states, he says, all jobs, not merely so-called helping professions, are fundamentally ways of loving your neighbor. Whatever you do. Think about this, and I'm quoting uh, another 
here. He says, when I go into a restaurant, the waitress who brings me my meal, the cook in the back who prepared it, the delivery man, the wholesalers, the workers in the food processing factories, the butchers, the farmers, the ranchers, and everyone else in the economic food chain are all being used by God to give me this day my daily bread. And we could push that farther uh, to include the people who design and manufacture the farming equipment, the people who design and build and maintain the warehouses that store the grain, the, the government workers who serve in the Ministry of Agriculture, the seed industry, the land surveyors, and on and on. It is no surprise that the ancient Jewish thinker Ben Sirah, 200 years before Jesus, shaped by the biblical narrative in the apocryphal book Ecclesiasticus, wrote of the vital work of all tradespeople, saying this, they keep stable the fabric of the world and their prayer is in the practice of their trade. Our God works, and he has created us to work with him for his glory and the good of the world, and our work, in our work, to participate with our God in his care of creation and his seeking the flourishing of all things. And because of this, lastly, God matters to your work, whatever your work is. And maybe this is the surprising implication of God's blessing of Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2. In Hebrew, the word bless doesn't simply mean to encourage or affirm someone or to wish someone well after a sneeze. But it means to empower someone or something to be able to do what it was made for, to empower someone or something to accomplish whatever it is that God has made them for, commanded them to do. And in the case of Genesis 1, God blesses Adam and Eve for what purpose? God blesses them for parenting and gardening. Note that. God blessed them so that they would bear children raise children, and take care of their bit of the garden of creation. Which might not seem like a big deal to us, but it strikes me as dramatically different than what we often, the kind of work we often think deserves and requires God's blessing and empowerment. Here and there, I'll, I'll run into one of you during the week, and you'll ask me if I'm preaching that Sunday, I'll say yes, maybe, if I'm on deck, and you'll say, awesome, I'm praying for you because you know God better show up. And I just got to say, please, thank you. I'll take it. Every prayer you want to give me in that regard, I'll take it for all of our sake. But here's the vital insight, the beautiful grace of Genesis 1 and 2, and Paul's whatever you do. It is that every, every kind of work requires, deserves, and requires God's blessing, God's empowering, God's work. Not just preaching, but running Parkside Motors and raising humans, and working as a community health nurse, and teaching middle school students band, and designing apartment buildings, and whatever else you do. According to Genesis 1, Adam and Eve needed the blessing of God to do the work that God had given them, which for them meant parenting and gardening for the blessing of all. So here's my point. Not only does your work, whatever you do, matter to God, but God matters to your work, whatever it is, so that your work might truly be, whatever you do, 
a participation in what God is doing on earth for his glory and the flourishing of the world. Which makes me think of Kenzie's dad, Bruce Watson. This past Tuesday, some of us gathered to honor Bruce's life and to grieve his passing. And honestly, in the midst of all of the grief bound up in Bruce's untimely death to pancreatic cancer, the memorial was, among other things, such a beautiful testimony to the grace of holy work. Not that Bruce worked in a field that normally is regarded as holy. He was an accountant, which just the thought of that for some people makes you grimace or assume a certain type of person. Um, Bruce probably was that type of person and he was awesome. Uh, He was a CPA who became a CFO, a chief financial officer, an accountant and a CFO who sought to honor God in and with his daily work, in his vocational decisions, saying yes to a certain job, saying no to some jobs, saying yes to certain opportunities, at a certain point in his life, taking a pay cut in his career for the sake of serving clients that he felt would not be cared for. And God was glorified in him. Small huddle of people at this memorial, but a good crowd of them were just his coworkers, people that had worked with him over a lifetime. Many of them who don't know Jesus, but who have such appreciation for this man that they know was a follower of Jesus for how he did his work day after day, week after week, over a lifetime. Work done for the glory of God and the good of the world, not just around the proverbial water cooler, but in the very doing of his work. And I can't help but believe that two Fridays ago, Bruce heard the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. You honored me with the work I gave you. May that be said of us. May that be said of me. My calling does not inherently glorify God unless I bow my daily work to God any more than you. An accountant can glorify God, a pastor can betray him. We all need Jesus in this. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So let me give you two questions to talk, to, talk with God about and maybe with others with God in the coming days. What raw material has God placed in your care for you to work with for the flourishing of creation and humanity or both? How can you do your work in a way that enables creation and other people to flourish? Physically, relationally, socially, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. I was talking to Don Crawford just the other day, texted me. Many of us know Don, he was a part of this church for years, now lives in White Rock and is doing new things, been there for three years, hardly knows anybody in his community. But he started to get involved with his strata council. And he's been on this strata council and felt like, God, you've put me here, I'm gonna serve this building. People hate strata councils. People hate strata meetings, right? And recently someone 
And Don's probably the chair at this point, let's be honest. <laughs> and recently someone said to Don, I don't know what you have done, but our strata meetings have totally changed. And the tone of how we're relating to one another is so different. There's something happening here. Thank you, Don. What raw material has God placed in your care for you to work with for the flourishing of creation and humanity? How can you do your work in such a way that enables creation and other people to flourish? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the, the grace of your word and this revelation of who you are and how the gospel is about all that we are and all that we bring, our heart and soul and mind and strength and all of creation, all of our world. And in your grace, the cross In the cross, you, God, have bore our sin, taken it to the grave on our behalf that we might be forgiven of our sin, that we might be filled with your spirit, reconciled to the Father, and have the whole of our lives drawn back into your good purposes. And Lord, the world and us and our work are impacted by the curse the stain of sin, sometimes our work is incredibly, sometimes we want to work and there isn't work. Sometimes it feels futile. Sometimes we are implicated into systems that seem not to honor you. Sometimes our employer stands against us and what is good, or our employees. <laughs> or just the way things work. So we come to you recognizing there's complexity here, but we confess in faith together that you know how to do this. And there are ways for us to learn in you that the whole of our lives, including our work, would be a holy participation in your grace for your glory the good of the world, so we just bow to you. Lord, as we sing, take my life and let it be, would you uh, open our imaginations, our minds, our vision of our lives and lead us in this prayer today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Thursday and far beyond.